All right, guys, welcome back to our teaching in the book of Genesis. Now, the last time we were here in chapter 38, we were looking at the folly of Judah. And when we say folly, that simply is to say that how Judah had departed from his brothers, that is his clansmen, the clan, the tribe of Jacob, his brothers, their followers, the Jewish people who were at that time separated from the Canaanites. But nevertheless, Judah departed from his people and went down and dwelt among the Canaanite and married a Canaanite woman. And from this union, he got three sons and these three sons took up on themselves the ways of their mother. Now, we don't know so much, so much about Shelah, but that is the idea. Shelah is the third son. Remember, he had three sons, Ur, Onan, and Shelah. Okay, but we don't know. It doesn't say a lot about Shelah, but it does speak concerning Ur and Onan being wicked and clearly taking from the Canaanites uh, way of living, the immorality of the Canaanites. Not only did we see that, we also saw a further uh, debasement in the character of Judah when he thought that his daughter-in-law Tamar was a prostitute and, and Judah's propositioned her. I think that's the way we're looking for. He propositioned her and, and of course she tricked him, got impregnated, impregnated by him, but she kept certain identifying things that belonged to Judah so that when her pregnancy was discovered, she could say that I'm pregnant by Judah and Judah himself in time, when he found out that she was indeed pregnant, he was presented with those things, the signal ring, the cord and the staff that belonged to him. He was presented with these things and he discovered that what his daughter-in-law Tamar had actually done was more righteous than what he himself had done. Righteous in the fact that she, he was indebted to give his third son to whom Judah refrained from giving to Tamar because his firstborn son who was married to, Shala, to Tamar died. The second son died. So therefore, the third son was to be given to him in order that a child should be born of that union, a union. That's what we call. Look at the video from last week, guys. So, so I don't have to rehash all of this, what we call the leveret marriage. But the point is, he said she was more righteous than he was in the fact that Tamar was righteous in gaining, obtaining a child from the family of Judah, even Judah himself. Nevertheless, the chapter ends with two sons being born, uh, through this immoral union, the sons of Perez and Zerah. Okay. So now after that particular break in chapter 38, and this is what I want you guys to always remember what 38 was doing. It was providing an insight into what God was doing with Joseph. Now I'm going to do a little, I'm going to go further a little bit so that you can see without having to look back because we will see how we'll see the sovereign hand of God in using situations, people's feelings, their thoughts and their actions to accomplish his purpose. And here is the, here is the threat. And I use this term in a humanistic type way. The threat is very simple. The people, as we can see, the people of Jacob are refusing to remain separate and distinct from the Canaanites. 
They are beginning to want to socialize with them. We saw that with Dinah. They're beginning to intermarry with them. We saw that with Judah in the very previous chapter that we talked about. Okay. And so we're also going to see a threat in idolatry. Remember, Judah thought that Tamar on the side of the road was a temple prostitute. And remember when I told you about the Canaanites now, how they worship their idol gods with sexual immorality. Okay. So nevertheless, so you see a threat beginning to happen with the people of Jacob, the chosen people whom God had chosen, preserve his word, preserve the worship of God, preserve the knowledge of God so that this knowledge, word and worship can be shared, can be witnessed to the Gentiles who don't have this knowledge of God. Okay. So this all is coming under threat. So what's going on in the scripture and this, and this is what 38 did for us. It let us see the righteousness of God. And when God sent Joseph into Egypt now with respect to the Joseph incident, all of this is working manifoldly together because what did we see? Even though Joseph is being mistreated. And now the last time we saw Joseph in chapter 37, Joseph was captured by his own brothers and sold to Ishmaelites and Midianite traders going into Egypt. Okay. Now, most of you probably already know or have heard of the story of Joseph. So to make it this point that I'm trying to communicate a little bit easier, but the fact is you can see that how God is working in the scenes, in the lives, the actions and the ways of people to bring about his plan and his plan. Ultimately we'll see this uh, much down the road, but his plan ultimately will be to save and preserve the Jewish people. And that's not simply to save their lives from starvation now, because remember it is God who controls weather. God sends the famine. God can provide plenty. God can take it away. So therefore God took it away. The question you have to ask yourself is why did God take these things away? And again, this is what I'm trying to show you. It is so that through these things, events, peoples, their actions, he is moving them, the Jewish people to a particular place, namely Goshen, so that they will be taken out of the land of Canaan, separated from the Canaanites. And so that his purpose concerning them can be established so that they might grow into a nation without all of that affiliation from these apostate. Well, I wouldn't call them apostate because they never knew the true God, but from these godless Canaanites. And so that's what you're going to see. So even, and, and here's what we're going to see now dealing with the story of Joseph as we're continuing that story, even in hardships, the hand of God is very much behind the scene. God is working all things according to his purpose and using even bad things, bad situations, even wrongful accusations. Okay. So now keep all those things in mind. God is still very much in the plan. And here's another point that I want to make before I even get into that. And this is, this is kind of long, but, but bear with me. Never forget just, we often think that God is involved and God is doing things or whatever when things are going well and things are going good. But what we're going to learn from this text seeing how God dealt with Joseph 
These are bad situations. You're going to see slavery and from slavery, you're going to see imprisonment. But one thing will be evident and clear. God is still involved. And that goes to say to us today, what? That no matter what it is for God's people, God is still involved. And you've heard me say in this teaching many, many, many times already, quoting Paul in Romans 8 and 28. And we know that all things work together for the good to those who love the Lord, those who are the called according to his purposes. And I don't have time to break that down again, but just think about what I just said. It works for the good to those who are the call to those who love God for what ultimate end to the purposes that God himself has established for us. Okay. Now with all of that ado, let's go to chapter 39 as we pick up the story continuing with Joseph as Joseph was now He's now a slave with the Midianite and Ishmaelite traders on his way to Egypt, being sold now to a man by the name of Potiphar. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph. So he became a successful man and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord had caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant. And he made him overseer over his house and all that he owned. It came about that from time, from the time he made him overseer in his house and over all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptians house on account of Joseph. Thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge and with him there, he did not concern himself with anything except the food, which he ate. And we're going to stop there. Not quite at the end of verse number six, because at the next part, the latter part of verse number six is beginning another section. But the first section that we see is this. Now that Joseph has been sold to Potiphar, remember now, it is very important to remember Potiphar's position as we move through this chapter. He is the captain of the host of of the Egyptian Pharaoh. He is the chief bodyguard, if you'll let me say it in that fashion, or sometimes the word is used in the sense of chief beheader, chief executioner. And so therefore we see now Joseph sold into Potiphar's household and Potiphar began to know something, uh, to acknowledge that whatever Joseph was doing, that he was being blessed in all that he did. Now the scripture said that, and that's the point he was saying that Joseph was a successful or a prosperous man. And so therefore uh, Potiphar simply used good business sense. If Joseph is prospering in everything that he's doing, Potiphar gave him more and more responsibility until he set him literally over the affairs of his entire estate. The scripture said 
Potiphar had no idea basically what he had except for that except for the food that went into his mouth. And the reason for that is the food that went into his mouth is because the Egyptians did not eat with the Hebrews. They considered the Hebrews as an abomination. So they wanted to separate themselves. So therefore only the food that went personally into his mouth was he really aware of, but everything else that Potiphar had, he left it completely under the charge of Joseph. So he made Joseph his personal minister. That is Joseph became the executive servant to Potiphar himself. And he exercised total control over all of Potiphar's assets, whether in his house or whether in the field. And one thing that is evidenced clearly all throughout this particular chapter is the Lord was with Joseph. So it was not simply so much as Joseph's ingenuity or his intelligence. It was the Lord was with Joseph. And also we can see the promise of God. Remember the promise of God to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. So we can see in Potiphar's treatment of Joseph, Joseph, his very presence there, God is blessing Potiphar on behalf of this Jewish man. And that goes again, bless those who bless you, the Jewish people. Okay. But nevertheless, in all of the things that Potiphar had given unto Joseph, we can see Potiphar had complete trust in Joseph. And that's one thing that we want to see. We'll see that as we get in, get ready to go into another section of Joseph's life. Each time that Joseph goes into a particular situation that those who are over him have complete trust of Joseph. So it speaks of Joseph's faithfulness as well as speaks of his trustworthiness. Okay. All right. That's enough of that. So nevertheless, Joseph was in charge of the whole household of Potiphar in the verse number six. Now, now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. It came about after these events that his master's wife looked, looked with desire at Joseph and she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. And he has put all that he, he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I. And he has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? As she spoke to Joseph day after day, he did not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. Now it happened on one day. I tell you what, let me stop there and let's introduce this new section. It is a section that deals with Joseph's fidelity to Potiphar, to God and Joseph's faithfulness. All right. So now it introduces this section concerning Joseph in that Joseph was a man who was very handsome. He was good to look upon. And this is also said concerning David, how David, and I think these are the only two men in uh, old Testament scripture that it speaks in this manner that they were handsome. So he was very good looking man. Okay. 
and he caught the eye of Potiphar's wife. And so she came to Joseph, tempting Joseph to sleep with her. And she would, she came to Joseph the first time to do this. And Joseph evidenced his faithfulness to her husband, as well as his fidelity to God. He said, he said, that's ridiculous. Look, look at what your husband has done. He has put everything in his house to my charge. There is nothing concerning all that your husband has that I don't rule and I don't have charge over. The only thing that I don't have charge over is you. And he keeps you away from me quite naturally. So you're his wife. And he also says this, where it says that there is no one greater. Actually, he says he is not greater. Now in the Hebrew, that's what it says. When it says that he is not greater, what Joseph was not saying was that he was greater than Potiphar. But what he was saying was with respect to Potiphar's things, his household in totality, he was equal, equal with Potiphar. And so he was giving a rebuke, a sensible rebuke to his wife and simply saying, why should he do such a thing? And then we see finally his fidelity to God. And I want to make a couple of points on that. And he said, why should I even do this? Number one, it would be a breach against the trust that your husband has with me. And it would be a sin against God. Now, what's so beautiful and important about that is this. You have to remember that Joseph is young. Remember, Joseph was 17 years of age, 17 to 18 when he is sold into slavery. So Joseph has been in the household for only a few years. He's probably in the household of Potiphar for about round about seven or eight years. And we don't want to get into detail in all of that. But nevertheless, even so, he is a very young man. And we understand, we know how that with youth comes what? Youthful lust. What did Paul even say to Timothy? Do the same thing that Joseph would do. We're not there yet but that Joseph would do when he says flee youthful lust. So the sexual desires are greater when a person is young, but nevertheless, Joseph in all of his youth and being separated from his family. So where is the constant? See, it's a beautiful thing being surrounded. And that's why God tells us to go to church so that we can be encouraged and held accountable so that we could be built up and strengthened by other saints around us. But consider Joseph in Egypt. He's the only Jewish person there. There are no worshipers of the true and living God. It is very admirable. It's a very admirable thing for Joseph to hold to this high standard of righteousness when he is not surrounded by any of his family by any of those who also worship God. So this is very commendable concerning Joseph. But anyway, and so she would speak to Joseph as a way, as a mean of habit. That is whenever she would get an opportunity, she would constantly try to encourage Joseph to go to bed with her, to engage in a sexual relationship with her. And Joseph would constantly refuse her advances. And the situation had devolved so that Joseph would not allow himself to be in the house with her alone. So she was persistent with this. All right. Now let's continue. 
verse 11. Now it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the household were, were, was there inside. She caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. When she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled outside, she called to the men of her household and said to them, see how he has brought in a Hebrew to us to make sport of us. He came in to me to lie with me and I screamed. When he heard that I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled and went outside. So she left his garment beside her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with these words, the Hebrew slave whom you brought to us came in to me to make sport of me. And as I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. Now let's stop right there. So now th there came a particular day when Joseph had work to do inside the house and it so happened, none of the other men were in the house. Okay. Remember I told you, just told you he would always make certain men would be present in the house so there could be no problems with the wife of Joseph. But this day he was all alone. She grabbed him and almost in a forceful manner, inducing, trying to in, seduce him to have a sexual relationship with her and said to him, lie with me. And Joseph did a very wise thing. He got up, he, he got out of there. But in the process of fleeing, remember she grabbed hold to him. So therefore, as he was leaving, he left his coat. She grabbed onto him, he left his coat. So she had his coat there. And you know, when the, we have a proverb that we say that hell has no fury like a woman scorned. This is exactly that scenario here. Potiphar's wife was consistently uh, rejected by Joseph. And so now in her anger, because she has been rejected by Joseph, her soul, her lust, because that's all it was, pure lust. Her lust has turned into hate. And so now she wants to make Joseph pay for what he has done to her. And what has he done to her? Rejected her advancement. He refused to have her. Joseph is yet righteous, but nevertheless, something else that we see too. And notice she got, she took a hold of his garment. We see the same. This is the second time by Joseph's garment that he, I won't say gets into trouble, but it's related to trouble with Joseph. Remember the brothers had taken his coat of many colors and kind of cut it up a little bit and put blood goat's blood on it and gave it to his father. And even here we see now his garment playing a role in this scenario, in this type situation with Joseph, but nevertheless, so she takes the garment of Joseph and then all of a sudden she starts screaming and putting on this great big old act. And, and calling on the servants and whatever. The, of course, they come rushing in and she tries to, she tries to get them on her side to kind of act like witnesses. See how, and, and she bad mouths her husband. See how he has brought in this Hebrew. So all of this is negative. So notice how at first she was so positive with Joseph because she wanted to get a relationship with Joseph. But now she's negative. 
Hebrew. So she says this. You can imagine her spitting as she says this, this Hebrew slave. And now she said, notice to mock us. She's trying to bring the other servants in. He, uh, the, no doubt Egyptians to mock us. And then she begins to give this lie about how when she was left in the house with Joseph, he tried to rape her. But when she resisted Joseph and started screaming, he ran and left her coat with Joseph. So she's lying. I kind of want to say lying through her teeth here, but clearly we all know that. And then, so she kept Joseph's garment as she is now called herself, getting some witnesses, people on her side to, to speak with her. That's not going to be so much be with the case with the scripture, but that's the idea of building her case. Uh, she waits, she keeps his coat until her husband Potiphar comes home. And when her husband Potiphar comes home, she tells him basically the same story. She says this Hebrew that you know it now is more direct brought in to mock me. And notice the idea of mocking. It does have a sexual connotation to it. She's clearly making it known to Potiphar, your servant that you brought in here tried to rape me. And so when she told him that, she said, raise his voice, scream, she said, and here is the evidence of this. Identify that this is Joseph by his garment. Same idea. Identify this is your son. Remember, that's what the brother said. Identify this is your son by his garment. So now she has told her husband these things. Now let's move into the reaction of Potiphar. And it's going to be very interesting to how Potiphar reacts. Okay. Verse 19. Now, when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spoke to him saying, this is what your slave did to me. His anger burned. So Joseph's master took him, put him into, into the jail, the place where the King's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the jail, but the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. Okay, so now, we see the reaction of Potiphar, which will literally be the imprisonment of Joseph. But before we get into all of that, let's dissect this thing a little bit. So she has just told her husband that Joseph tried to rape her and presented her husband so-called evidence, Joseph's garment of that. And remember, now here's what I want to bring to your attention. Remember who Potiphar is. Potiphar is the chief of Pharaoh's guard. He is the chief executioner, executioner, chief beheader of the Pharaoh. So therefore, for such, an, for such a grievous act of a slave against an Egyptian woman, even an Egyptian married woman, even an Egyptian married woman to the chief executioner, what do you think that Potiphar would have done to Joseph if he believed that? He would have instantly executed Joseph. You got it? 
but he didn't. And that tells us a whole lot about Joseph and the relationship between Potiphar and Joseph and maybe Potiphar and his wife. So notice what the text says. When Potiphar heard this, his anger burned. But you know the beautiful thing about that? It didn't say who he was mad with. It didn't say his anger burned at Joseph. It left it blank, which gives us the idea, the assumption. His anger didn't burn at Joseph. His anger burned with his wife. And so, therefore, this accusation, remember, let's bring this into focus. She had made this accusation to the servants, the household servants. So now the word is out that Joseph has tried to rape Potiphar's wife. The word is out. And now it come to Potiphar. It's out now. It's public thing, so to speak. Public thing now. Potiphar is not angry with Joseph, but he has to do something about this. You see what I'm trying to say, guys? Because if Potiphar had truly believed his wife, remember how I just spelled it out. Hebrew slave against an Egyptian woman. Egyptian woman who is married. The Egyptian woman who is married to the chief executioner of the Pharaoh. If Potiphar had believed that, he would have had Joseph executed. Probably would have did it himself. But he definitely would have executed Joseph. Because he didn't believe it, he sought to preserve Joseph's life. And But even though he wanted to preserve Joseph's life, the public embarrassment around it. He couldn't let Joseph stay in the house. He couldn't let him stay in his job. He had to do something to save face. So what does he do? He does the greatest thing that he could do to Joseph in saving his own face, Potiphar's, put him in prison, and the least thing that he can do to Joseph by not harming him, preserve his life in that sense, okay? So he has Joseph in prison. I hope you guys caught that. That was a beautiful thing, all right? But nevertheless, now before I go further, let me reemphasize once again. Notice it said God, we keep saying that God was with God was with Joseph in Potiphar's household. Okay. Now the situation has turned negative after about seven years with this Potiphar's wife incident. God is still with Joseph. Not only that issue turning, talking about God being with Joseph, blessing Joseph to be in control and handling things. That's our pride when we want to see all of that. But God is with Joseph and God is sovereign in the events of things. Whatever is going on, God is involved because notice. Okay, let me just simply tell you how, how it's working. And, and, and I'm going to move once again into the future. Joseph is being sent to the king's jail, the jail of the king. It will be this jail where Joseph will meet the cupbearer and the baker of the king where later on the cupbearer will give a good report of Joseph to the Pharaoh. Joseph himself will be brought to the Pharaoh. So Joseph had to be within uh, places where he can be contacted. So all of these connections that lead Joseph to the Pharaoh, these are not connections per chance, by chance. These are connections being established through the foreign hand of God. So what am I saying once again? Even in the lusts of Potiphar's wife, God is using, God didn't cause it, okay? But he uses these, it doesn't matter whether something is good or whether something is bad. God could still use these things to accomplish his purposes. So what has he used here? He has used uh, Potiphar's wife's lusts 
to accomplish his purpose. And what purpose is that? To move Joseph to the next section of his life, imprisonment. And even though imprisonment doesn't feel good, and we see that in Psalm 105, I think it's verses 18 and 19, concerning Joseph, how he was mistreated initially when he came into the prison. Uh, nevertheless, God is involved. So God is not only involved when things are going well, God, Romans 8 and 28, is involved even when things are not going well. Okay, so now Joseph has transitioned to the next section of his life, and that is in imprisonment. And so while Joseph is in prison, Joseph once again is noticed. Certain things are put under Joseph's trust, and the chief jailer begins to notice that whatever Joseph did began to prosper. And it is the same identical situation that Joseph had with Potiphar. Why? because the Lord was with Joseph. And so what did the jailer do? Because everybody always acts for the most part in their own self-interest. What did he do? He put everything under Joseph's care. So every prisoner and all the doings and workings of the prisoner, just like Potiphar's household, is now being done in the prison by the chief jailer. All of this is put under Joseph's care and the chief jailer did not know what was going on. He did not even know what Joseph was doing because just like Potiphar, he had complete trust in Joseph, which tells us another thing once again about the character of Joseph. Joseph was a good man and Joseph was a faithful man. And in all of these things, we can see what God's dealing with those who dealt kindly with Joseph. I will bless those who bless you and those who curse you, I will curse. All right, guys, thank you for joining me on that lesson. Now, the next time we come back in chapter 40, we're gonna move even closer to the throne, that is Joseph being right underneath the Pharaoh of Egypt. We're gonna move into that scenario as God continues to work in the life of Joseph by bringing two servants of the Pharaoh into the jail with dreams which Joseph himself will interpret. All right, guys, see you next time.